0: At Woodside Bible Church, we gather each week to pursue God by studying His Word together. Do you ever feel like the world is spinning out of control? Amidst the world's chaos and growing opposition to our faith, economic hardship, and overwhelming challenges, we can find inspiration from the story of Elijah in 1 Kings. Despite facing an angry king, severe drought, massive opposition, and depression, Elijah lived a powerful and impactful life for God. Join us for our series, Elijah, as we learn how the same God Elijah served can use us to live a life of impact for his kingdom.
1: So have you ever run into uh, this situation before? got a slide right up on here should be a picture of a kiosk you ever run into this situation right here so you you enter a fast food restaurant you're faced with one of the most important decisions of your life <laughs> you go kiosk or you go human being raise your hand if you're a team kiosk like I'm avoiding all human interaction I'm not going to them wow not many people you being honest with yourself Okay, and who's going team human being? Wow, wow, you guys surprised me. <laughs> so you love human inter- interaction. So it's, it's amazing to see, you know, the, the differences of what this culture has gone through. And on this Labor Day weekend, we're in a culture that has entered into an intriguing situation. Uh, the last couple of years has brought about what is called a labor shortage. You guys are fully aware of this. A stop at a fast food restaurant or a grocery store will usually involve walking by some well-placed signs indicating help wanted, right? Anybody at a job that's hiring right now, raise your hands. Quite a few. And so uh, the U.S. Chamber of Commerce reports that our labor population has decreased to 63% of what it was in the winter of 2020. So we end up ordering our food at a kiosk, there's long waits at the waiting room, there's delayed delivery of our products, and the same is true when you drive by the different manufacturing districts, even here in Warren, right? Just pass a sign right over by GM and uh, different businesses over there, help wanted, we will pay you anything, please work for us, please. You can almost uh, get interviews on the spot as well. And so we're left with this question. Are these industries sustainable when there aren't enough people to work in them? Like, what happens when there's no workers? And so, the the big question also is Does this same concern apply to the mission of God when there's not enough workers? You can take down that kiosk. The mission of God, the mission of God is this He desires that more people from all nations respond to His love and redemption. It's that simple. But how can they believe unless someone tells them, and how should they tell them unless they are sent? That's what Paul talks about in Romans. Is there a labor shortage in the mission of God? As we see of the passing of contemporary leaders of the Christian faith, people like Tim Keller, people like Elizabeth Elliot, people like J.I. Packer, what will happen to the mission of the church? After this generation passes, is there anyone to pass the baton to in the generations to come? Over these last few weeks, uh, we've been looking at the life and ministry of Elijah, a man like us. Though he was a very, he was in a very ungodly culture. Right? We've witnessed God's mighty hand at work. And all of these stories are found in the Old Testament in 1 Kings, and we're ending out that series today. The book isn't only accounting Jewish history, it could be recorded, it's often said that it is a historical account. But the author writes the history while the nation was in exile and gives evident reasons why they were experiencing God's judgment. Like, you would wanna know why you were experiencing judgment. And this was the reason. He's giving it in 1 Kings. You have these rule, the, the rule of these very, very evil kings. And so God provides a prophet to call the king and the people back to the covenant that God established for them. So God calls Elijah to, the count, to, to counterbalance the evilest king known to man, King Ahab. These last few weeks, we've seen that Elijah isn't that much different from us. In the last week, we we learned that God works in amazing ways even when Elijah was in a season of great anxiety and great depression. And so in one of those low times in Elijah's life, God assured him that this calling continued beyond Elijah's life. It wasn't just because of Elijah. It was going to be extended beyond Elijah. You see, Elijah's focus on life was too limited. God taught him that by raising up another prophet, he would be influencing generations to come. And so this is where we pick up today. So if you have a Bible with you, open it up to 1 Kings chapter 19. 1 Kings chapter 19. So in the previous section, we we learned that God spoke to Elijah in a low whisper. And instructed Elijah to anoint a man named Elisha to be a prophet in his place. Which on a side note, I think this is God's ultimate joke on mankind. That Elijah would appoint Elisha just to confuse us. I can't tell you how many times I'm like, was that Elisha or Elijah?" Doesn't matter. But he appoints Elisha in this next section. And as we study the closing verses of First Kings 19 and conclude the series, we will see that God faithfully calls people to serve in his mission. He faithfully calls you and I. So the first point today is that God's direction can be trusted. God's direction can be trusted. And we're going to start in verse 19. So First 1 Kings 19.19 says this, So he departed from there and found Elisha, the son of Shaphat, who was plowing with 12 yoke of oxen in front of him. And he was with the 12th. Elijah passed by him and cast his cloak upon him. So this is where Elijah is coming from. He's coming from a serious time of depression that we just went through last week. God visits Elijah and gives him four items of instruction. The first is that he assures Elijah that despite the rampant Baal worship that was happening in the culture that he lived in, God's rule continued over Israel and the surrounding nations. How many times in your life, with the culture that we live in, do you wonder, God, are you even there? This is what Elijah is comforted with. God says, I am still here. I am still on my throne. I am ruling The second is that Elijah continued to have a role to fulfill in God's mission. Like, he was still going to play a part. The third is that God instructed him to anoint a man he had chosen to be king over the neighboring nation of Syria and a man to be king over Israel. And then finally, God revealed to Elijah that he had already chosen Elijah's successor as his spokesman and Elijah was to find and commission him. So there's there's your instruction. Go, Elijah. And how does Elijah respond? He left the mountain range of Horeb in southern Israel to fulfill God's assignment. Syria was to the north of Israel, so he was about to literally walk hundreds of miles on foot. This is where Elisha comes into the story en route to his destination. As Elijah hiked down the barren, rocky descent I I can't imagine but wondering what was going through Elijah's brain at that moment. God had uh, done these miraculous signs in the previous section. There was a raging wind, an earthquake, a fire. None of them had the message of these instructions. But rather, it was the low whisper of God that gave him this assignment. Was this message clear? If you were Elijah, like, did I hear that right? Was God's word reliable? And was there any hope for the nation of Israel? So despite any thoughts that he may have had in that moment, he continued on. And he walked, and he walked, and he walked. In the Jordan Valley, he finds the household of Shaphat. And in the field, he finds Elisha, just as God said. Elisha was found plowing the fields with 12 yoke of oxen. And most commenters agree that this description of Elisha implies that he was a part of a rich family. And so I, I got a picture right here just to put an image in your brain. This was the sign of wealth. Like you guys have a Dodge Charger in your driveway, that's the sign of wealth. This was it in that day. Man, you got 12 oxen, 24 oxen actually. That, like he was a part of a rich family. Only a wealthy family owned 24 plowing oxen, which meant that they had a lot of land. And they needed a large team of oxen to accomplish the work. So Elijah discovered once again that God's direction can be trusted. It was trustworthy when God directed him to the brook of Cherith in chapter 17. God sent him to the widow of Zarephath in in chapter 17 as well. God was there. God sent him to Ahab to challenge him on Mount Carmel. When the consuming fire came down, was God reliable then? It's actually a question. Was he reliable then? Absolutely. So, why would he fail now? Just like the song we just sang, why would God fail now? Why would he doubt God's direction? Psalm 119, verse 105, says that God's word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. It is a gift to the believer. It shows us how our lives can properly honor him with our ambitions, with our attitudes, with our actions. There would be plenty of situations in life that we will desperately need that, situ- that, that kind of direction. How many, how many of you right now need direction with what you're going, on, going through right now? <laughs> Absolutely, I do need direction. <laughs> Right now! I don't know what to... No, I know what to say. God doesn't leave us in the dark. His word faithfully illuminates the way that honors him. You don't realize how essential these small lights are until they're all gone, right? Though they're small, when it turns into darkness, the light turns into a reliable source of safety. So... Uh, I told our our guys in the sound booth, we're actually going to turn the lights off right now. Go ahead. There you go. It's not as dark as I intended with these LED lights. Can you see me? Not as well, right? But with my Illuminator X3000, I've got my flashlight. Anybody ever use a flashlight before? Great. Awesome. So you know what I'm getting at. God's word is a lamp to our feet so that when you are in darkness, you know your direction. Despite everything going on in the world right now, you have direction. You have a place that you can call home in the safety of the arms of your Messiah. Do you believe that, church? So you've got your lights, you've got your LEDs in your light, whatever it may be, your Edison bulbs. You can turn the lights back on right now. I should just continue to preach with the lights off. That'd be great. Though we can't see everything going on, just like in life, the light is sufficient to lean on. The light is sufficient to lean on. God's word is that light. So focus on it. Are you pursuing God's word right now? I found that the more that I do personally, the more I have direction. And the less temptation into darkness that tempts me. Your priorities, your passions will change for the better. So as the fall schedules begin, set a time and a place to faithfully read and reflect on his word. Set your alarm a few minutes beforehand or an hour beforehand, three hours before. No, don't, don't do that. Or, or reserve a time in your evening routine to reading God's word. Choose a book of the Bible to read, maybe a, a paragraph a day, a verse a day. Even if you're not reading anything right now, if you're reading a verse a day, that's more than you would ever have done otherwise. So maybe you could write down a journal of the things you observe and how the Spirit prompts you while reading. These simple but important disciplines result in God's Word saturating our thinking. There's also an app that I highly recommend that's called Dwell. You guys ever heard of Dwell? Dwell is essentially just a, a Bible app that reads the Bible to you. You can choose the, the accent that you want, like if you want a British or South African or American accent, male, female, doesn't matter. And they'll, you choose the book of the Bible, the verse, and it'll read it to you. You play that on your commute to work, but the point is saturate your life with the Word of God because it is powerful. It will direct you when you don't know which way to go. It's interesting to see from the list of tasks that God gives to Elijah as well, that he starts to complete them in opposite order. He should appoint a Syrian king, he should anoint an Israeli king, and anoint Elisha as a prophet last. But from the start, what does Elijah do first? He appoints Elisha first. Elisha needed a ministry companion God graciously understood how important it was for Elijah to have a friend and successor. Elijah was wrestling with the fear of being the only one who had not abandoned Yahweh. He's living in the rampant Baal worship in that day, remember? So he's thinking, I need someone to accompany me. And so God gives him a partner in ministry. Do we truly understand how important discipleship is to our journey with Jesus? Discipleship essentially is becoming more like Christ. Turning away from your your past, the, the sin in your life, and becoming more like him. In Matthew 28, before Jesus ascends into heaven, Jesus says, Go, therefore, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, discipling them. We are to disciple the people around us. John 13, 34 through 35 says this. Jesus says, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You are also to love one another. And by this, people will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. God hasn't designed us to be like a hermit in a cave. He's designed us to live in friendship and in community with other people. That's why the church, the body of Christ, is so very important. For it's there that we are drawn together in love and mutual encouragement. Just encourage somebody today after this. Don't put anybody down. Like find somebody and say, hey, I'm really glad to see you today. Maybe that's what you just did in the time of welcoming. Have you guys ever heard the phrase of everyone needs a Paul and a Timothy? You know what that means? So in the Bible, there's, there's a Paul, the somebody who's older than you, discipling you, and a Timothy, somebody younger that you yourself are discipling. So I've got a picture of an example in my own life right here. Um, it's the most embarrassing picture of myself that I could find with my uh, mentor from high school up until my mid-20s. His name was Josh. And so Josh Tilley, I served under him as an intern. I was in student ministry. I went over to Iowa for a little bit as a family pastor. And he, uh, he came alongside of me and he discipled me. And having that time in my life for somebody to come alongside of me and guide me was so powerful. Shout out to Josh if you're here and hello. He's a, he's a pastor over in Iowa. And having that older mentor was powerful. And so if you don't have that in your life, find somebody within the church. Find somebody say, can you come alongside of me? Like, I can't do this on my own. And maybe there's somebody younger that you feel called to. Like, maybe I should disciple them. This is ingrained in our kids' ministry, our student ministry. Get involved with those. Or if you have somebody else in your life that is very evident, man, they need direction. Maybe you're going to disciple your own kids, which we're called to, right? But find a Paul and a Timothy, because we are called to disciple. You can take, take down baby Tyler, please. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> and as we watch God faithfully call people to his mission, we see his direction can be trusted. And we also see that God's call demands commitment. It demands commitment. Let's continue in 1 Kings 19, verse 20. And he left the oxen and ran after Elijah And said, let me kiss my father and my mother, and then I will follow you. And he said to them, to him, go back again, for what have I done to you? And he returned from following him and took the yoke of oxen and sacrificed them and boiled their flesh with the yokes of the oxen and gave it to the people and they ate. Then he arose and went after Elijah Elijah, and assisted him. Understanding the significance of the sign that Elijah had expressed, Elisha stopped this massive oxen team from their work and ran to the prophet. His request to kiss his parents seemed to be an intention to say goodbye. Elisha apparently grants permission to do as he chooses. So Elisha returns to his oxen, he slaughters them, uh, takes their wooden yokes, and forms a barbecue pit, essentially. (laughs) He, he hosts a huge feast and bids farewell to the people in his community. Elijah says the phrase, go back, for what have I done to you? This indicates that he didn't want to put any restrictions on Elisha. He gives him the free will to decide whether or not to follow him, which is good. And so what's his decision? He embraces the calling of God on his life. And he boldly severs the ties and the distractions that he has in his life. And he goes after the prophet of God. And so suddenly, Elisha's wealth is dispensable. Like, he doesn't care about these things that were so wealthy back in his day. He uh, turns his prized possessions into a barbecue pit for the people of his community and joins Elijah on the road as his aid. And so Jesus actually uses a similar picture. Maybe it's floating through your brain right now. Although he refers it to it in the reverse. So this is found in Luke nine sixty two. Jesus says, Yet another said, I will follow you, Lord, but let me first say farewell to those at my home. Jesus said to him, No one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. Like, that's a little different from what we see right here. Like, Elijah's like, no, you can't go back. In this situation, Jesus saw in this man's heart that saying goodbye would be an obstacle to his kingdom work. Jesus knew his heart wasn't truly committed to Christ. And that his attachment to his family would take priority over Jesus. Here in Elisha's situation, the goodbye functions as the entry into kingdom service. Elisha goes back to sever those ties, not to delay his commitment. It's impossible to plow, to plow a straight line when you are distracted looking at these things. That's what Jesus and Elijah wanted out of these two men. Have you ever mowed your lawn you looked up, you got distracted, and you look back at your lawn, and it looks like a child had just mowed it. You know what I'm talking about? It's like constantly, and there's no fixing that. That's what happens when you get distracted. And so he ensured that those distractions were not in place so that his, his vision, his, his eyesight could be on Christ and Christ alone. In the same way, Following Jesus while chasing other things to provide lasting satisfaction will keep you from that discipleship. In 1903, a man named William Borden was a man ready to inherit his family's uh, treasures. Like he, he was rich. His family was rich. Instead, he decided to become a missionary. He had taken some of his family's fortune, traveled the world. He saw the need, and he decided to become a missionary instead to, and drop the family business, essentially. And one of William's friends was described as, this is what he said of William, that he was throwing himself away to be a missionary. William Borden's personal journal entry says, Say no to self... And say yes to Jesus every time. No to self, yes to Jesus. So certainly we aren't all called to drop everything and go be a missionary at this moment. I'm not telling you to quit your jobs tomorrow or on Tuesday. Uh, But move, move towards this area of sharing Jesus within your own life, within where you are. But I, I would be saying, be willing that if God had called you to that kind of missionary work, are you ready? Would you accept the call of God on your life if that's truly what he wanted of you? In big ways, and small ways, he may be calling you to do something in this moment. Throughout God's redemptive work in this world, he has called men and women to serve with him. And anytime someone accepted the call, it involved sacrifice. But guess what? The rewards were far greater. It far outweighed the cost. Jesus, Jesus constantly said, take up your cross and follow me. Colossians 3.24 says that knowing from the Lord, you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving Christ. Amen. Everything else on this world pales in comparison to the kind of inheritance that you will receive in Jesus. The sacrifice may be small, putting extra energy into making a meal for someone who needs encouragement. That's small, but it still takes effort. Or lending a vehicle to someone who needs it. Maybe the sacrifice will be uh, huge. Maybe it looks like using your week of vacation and your tax refund for a short-term missions trip. <laughs> like, whoa, Tyler. <laughs> oh, no, that's not me. You never know. A commitment to God's call may look like stepping away from a dating relationship, pulling you away from your walk with God, or stepping away from a career to pursue full-time ministry. God's call will require commitment. Commitment. God's question is, are you willing? His mission will come with resistance. It will involve sacrifice, but there is greater joy in saying yes to Christ and no to self. And in this moment, the greatest decision you could ever make is not God's call to the Himalayas or across the sea. It's to himself. That if you haven't accepted Christ as as the one and only Savior... Like now is the moment. He is calling you to himself. He is calling you to put aside the sin and the mess in your life and follow him. The call of salvation is right now. You may never know when your last breath will be. And so God calls you to himself knowing that he is able to save you from all sin. He's able to forgive everything in your life. And he says, please follow me. He won't, he won't force it. He invites you. And all you have to do is accept that call. And when you receive that call, when you accept it and receive that free gift of salvation, you can ask anybody in this room who belongs to Christ, the cost far outweighs what will we get. We're going to get so much. And it's in Jesus. It's not like the heaven is, is the reward. It's Jesus is the reward. Here you go. There's the excitement. (laughs) So God faithfully calls people to his work. His direction can be trusted. His his call requires commitment, and his assignment involves development. God's assignment involves development. This last verse here in 1 Kings 19.21, it says, He arose, meaning Elisha, He arose and went after Elijah and assisted him. Longest verse of the Bible right there. He arose, went after Elijah and assisted him. So after this affluent young man demonstrated courageous faith, he followed Elijah with the coat in his hand and he assisted him. It says he assisted him. This means that he uh, served him. He, He maybe used to describe the servants at the table most frequently, maybe described, involved those who were served in the tabernacle, caring for the furnishings, maybe. And so there, there wasn't any glamour in this assistance that Elisha was being called to. In fact, uh, he's not actually known, Elisha isn't known for 6 to 12 years since we don't hear of him until 2 Kings chapter 2. So he's called in this section And he truly isn't known as a prophet of God for about 6 to 12 years. Years later, after Elijah's departure, he was called from a coalition of kings because they wanted direction from one of Yahweh's prophets. And so another servant knew of one available, and he said, Elisha, the son of Shaphat, is here who used to pour water on the hands of Elijah. That was his reputation. Who used to pour waters on the hands of Elijah. Elijah Elisha used to plow fields, then God called him. He poured water on Elijah's hands. This is not an extraordinary calling that he was called to right here. Raise your hands if you've ever been in a job that maybe seemed completely insignificant. Maybe the farthest away from what you would perceive or consider outstanding. Anybody ever been in that situation? Yeah? My experience with, with this is, uh, I, was, I was about 19 at the time. felt God's calling just to go on a missions trip, right? And so I, I raised about, I don't know, five, six, thousand dollars to go over to Japan, one of the best experiences of my life. Thought I would go over there, disciple people, preach Jesus, and you know what I did? I cleaned toilets. It's the best time of my life. I was partnering with a Christian camp called Okutama Bible Chalet, where they held a Christian camp for kids. They taught them English while sharing the message of Jesus. It was beautiful. Being immersed, immersed in that culture was amazing, but more importantly, the development within my own life was amazing. Because where I thought, here I'm going to step aside and I'm going to do God's calling, I'm going to go do God's work yet I'm over here scrubbing some of, their, uh, some of their toilets. And it was great. I loved it. It was the best five weeks of my life, it felt like, at sometimes. So imagine the lessons that must have been learned during these years in Elisha's life, watching the prophet pray, learning how he heard from God, observing his courage. These were not wasted years, but it was a part of the development process for years to come. Other characters in the Bible that are also described as going through seasons of development are uh, Joshua. Joshua was a servant of Moses for about 40 years. Anybody imagine that amount of patience for 40 years? This happened before he was entrusted to lead God's people into the promised land. David, he spent about 16 years in the wilderness after being identified as Israel's next king. Like, hey, David, you're going to be king, but you got to wait 16 years. And then Jesus himself, God's one and only son, and his humanity is described as growing and developing before he began his public ministry at age 30. Luke 2.52 says, Jesus increased in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and man. Compare these stories to what our current culture describes as climbing the ladder of success Maybe you've been trapped within that ladder. What is is climbing the ladder of success? It means giving of your time, energy, putting everything into it until you have that uh, that leadership role, that prestige that you've been waiting for. And the the biblical standard of servant leadership is so backwards. And so Jesus' disciples were caught in the same questions that our culture talks about as well. In Mark 10, it talks about James and John. They ask them, what are the best seats in the kingdom? They're asking about, where's the head of the table? What are the best seats in the kingdom of God? But instead, Jesus called them to look for ways to serve. It's all about development. When God faithfully calls his people to serve in his mission, he prioritizes their development in them more than the work he will do through them. It's all about what he will do within us versus what we're actually going to do. So my question is, what areas of development is, is God presently working on in your own life? Have you felt the Lord's call on your life or direction for ministry? Are you growing impatient at how long it takes for the door to swing open? Remember that God greatly values this season of development take advantage of ways to learn and grow if you're currently in that. And then as you're growing with your Timothy or with your Paul in your life, ask God to open your eyes to what he desires you to learn and who who he wants you to become. Like I said, the greater priority in God's eyes is doing something in you more than accomplishing something through you. It's all about the development within is a great way that, um, there is a great way that Woodside can set you up for success, and it's through the Woodside Leadership Institute. If you haven't heard about this yet, it's about it, it essentially focuses on coming alongside of people to help them discover the call of God on their life. So maybe you're considering going into ministry. Maybe you're considering going into something else, but it helps uh, disciple you through that process, and this happens through training. And then maybe you remember Ugo? You remember Ugo who was here? Yeah? And so he, we, we've had interns here. We've had residents. And so Ugo was here for about two years. And so if you're interested in stepping your foot into ministry or maybe a season of development, know that the Woodside Leadership Institute could be for you. In my own life, I've seen that. Of stepping into seasons of development. I still feel like I'm in it. Just because I'm up here doesn't mean that I'm being developed. It's so important to have that Paul and that Timothy within your own life so that you can continue to disciple those around you and you yourself can be discipled as well. So, is the church at a shortage of someone to pass the baton to? The answer? No. No, it's you. (laughs) We are God's disciples. We are the people to bring the message of salvation to this area in this next generation. There is no labor shortage in the kingdom of God. My encouragement to you today is be faithful to the call of God on your own life. Wherever you are, be faithful, be committed, and welcome his development. Will you be faithful to the call he's made on your life Will you trust his direction? And will you respond with commitment? And ultimately, will you welcome his development within your own life? When you see the call of God on Elisha's life, it's hard not to think about your own life. Knowing that God is able to invest in your own life in the exact same way, all you have to say is, yes, God, I'm ready. Let's pray. Jesus, we love you. We thank you for this message and this example within Elijah's and Elisha's life. We praise you for the kind of message that we've been given through this text. Knowing that the generations to come are in your hands alone. We praise you for the call that you've given us within our own life to bring this gospel to the nation's. And so God, as we're trying to find out how best to disciple people and pass the baton to in our own life, I pray that you'd come alongside of us and help us with that. Lord, please place people in our lives that we can invest in, that we can find people who can disciple us. We haven't arrived. We pray that you would continue to pour into us a way that develops us so that we can accurately share your gospel within the nations. Jesus, we we thank you for this message, and Lord, we continue to pray that you would just give us the words to say. Help us to be a light in our community within our own family. Jesus, we do this for your glory and your glory alone. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.